0: encouraged this approach, pointing out that she and Paul often signed their letters P.J. or Puglia, as if they were two halves of one person. I wrote some of the exposition and transitions, and in so doing tried to emulate Julia's idiosyncratic word choices. Plop! yak, Whoa! Hooray! Once I had gathered enough material, I would write up a vignette She would avidly read it, correct my French, and add things as they occurred to her in small, rightward slanting handwriting. She loved this process and was an exacting editor. This book energizes me, she declared. Julia and I shared a sense of humor and appetite, and she thought I looked like Paul, which probably helped our collaboration. As for me, I was grateful for the chance to reconnect with her and to be part of such an interesting project. Some writers find that the more they learn about their co-authors, the less they like them. But I had the opposite experience. The more I learned about Julia Child, the more I came to respect her. What impressed me most was how hard she worked how devoted she was to the rules of la cuisine française while keeping herself open to creative exploration, and how determined she was to persevere in the face of setbacks. Julia never lost her sense of wonder and inquisitiveness. She was and is a great inspiration. Another great inspiration has been our editor, Judith Jones, who worked with Julia for more than 40 years. With patience and a deep understanding of our subject, she was indispensable in helping to shape this book. Judith's assistant, Ken Schneider, was also a great help. On August 13th, 2004, just after our conversation in her garden and only two days before her 92nd birthday, Julia died of kidney failure in her sleep. Over the next year, I finished my life in France— but every day wished I could call her up and ask her to clarify a story, or to share a bit of news, or just to talk. I miss her. But through her words in these pages, Julia's voice remains as lively, wise, and encouraging as ever. As she would say, We had such fun. Alex Prudhomme, August 2005 Introduction This is a book about some of the things I have loved most in life—my husband, Paul Child, La Belle France, and the many pleasures of cooking and eating. It is also something new for me. Rather than a collection of recipes, I've put together a series of linked autobiographical stories— mostly focused on the years 1948 through 1954, when we lived in Paris and Marseille, and also a few of our later adventures in Provence. Those early years in France were among the best of my life. They marked a crucial period of transformation in which I found my true calling, experienced an awakening of the senses, and had such fun that I hardly stopped moving long enough to catch my breath. Before I moved to France, my life had not prepared me for what I would discover there. I was raised in a comfortable, waspy, upper-middle-class family in sunny and non-intellectual Pasadena, California. My father, John McWilliams, was a conservative businessman who managed family real estate holdings. My mother, Carolyn, whom we called Caro, was a very warm and social person but like most of her peers, she didn't spend much time in the kitchen. She occasionally sallied forth to whip up baking powder biscuits or a cheese dish or a fin and hattie, but she was not a cook. Nor was I. As a girl, I had zero interest in the stove. I've always had a healthy appetite, especially for the wonderful meat and the fresh produce of California, but I was never encouraged to cook and just didn't see the point in it. Our family had a series of hired cooks, and they'd produce heaping portions of typical American fare—fat roasted chicken with buttery mashed potatoes and creamed spinach, or well-marbled porterhouse steaks, or aged leg of lamb cooked medium gray, not pinky red rare as the French do, and always accompanied by brown gravy and green mint sauce. It was delicious, but not refined food. Paul, on the other hand, had been raised in Boston by a rather bohemian mother who had lived in Paris and was an excellent cook. He was a cultured man, ten years older than I was, and by the time we met, during World War II, he had already traveled the world. Paul was a natty dresser and spoke French beautifully, and he adored good food and wine. He knew about dishes like moule marinière and boeuf bourguignon and canard à l'orange, things that seemed hopelessly exotic to my untrained ear and tongue. I was lucky to marry Paul. He was a great inspiration. His enthusiasm about wine and food helped to shape my tastes, and his encouragement saw me through discouraging moments. I would never have had my career without Paul Child. We'd first met in Ceylon, Sri Lanka, during the second world war and were married in september 1946 in preparation for living with a new husband on a limited government income i decided i'd better learn how to cook before our wedding i took a bride-to-be's cooking course from two english women in los angeles who taught me to make things like pancakes but the first meal i ever cooked for paul was a bit more ambitious brains simmered in red wine I'm not quite sure why I picked that particular dish, other than that it sounded exotic and would be a fun way to impress my new husband. I skimmed over the recipe and figured it wouldn't be too hard to make. But the results, alas, were messy to look at and not very good to eat. In fact, the dinner was a disaster. Paul laughed it off, and we scrounged up something else that night. But deep down, I was annoyed with myself and I grew more determined than ever to learn how to cook well. In our first year as young marrieds, we lived in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., in a small white clabbered house on Olive Avenue. While Paul worked on mounting exhibits for the State Department, I worked as a file clerk. In the evening, I would approach the stove armed with lofty intentions, the joy of cooking or gourmet magazine tucked under my arm, and little kitchen sense. My meals were satisfactory, but they took hours of laborious effort to produce. I'd usually plop something on the table by 10 p.m., have a few bites, and collapse into bed. Paul was unfailingly patient, but years later he'd admit to an interviewer her first attempts were not altogether successful. I was brave because I wanted to marry Julia. I trust I did not betray my point of view. He did not. In the winter of 1948, Paul was offered a job running the Visual Presentation Department for the United States Information Service, USIS, in Paris, and I tagged along. I had never been to Europe, but once we had settled in Paris, it was clear that out of sheer luck I had landed in a magical city, one that is still my favorite place on Earth. Starting slowly, and then with a growing enthusiasm, I devoted myself to learning the language and the customs of my new home. In Paris, and later in Marseille, I was surrounded by some of the best food in the world, and I had an enthusiastic audience in my husband, so it seemed only logical that I should learn how to cook la cuisine bourgeoise, good traditional French home cooking. It was a revelation. I simply fell in love with that glorious food and those marvelous chefs. The longer we stayed there, the deeper my commitment became. In collaborating on this book, Alex Prudhomme and I have been fortunate indeed to have spent hours together telling stories, reminiscing, and thinking out loud. Memory is selective, and we have not attempted to be encyclopedic here, but have focused on some of the large and small moments that stuck with me for over fifty years. Alex was born in 1961, the year that our first book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which I wrote with Simone Beck and Louisette Bertol, was published. How appropriate, then, that he and I should work together on this volume, which recounts the making of that book. Our research has been aided immeasurably by a thick trove of family letters and date books kept from those days, along with Paul's photographs, sketches, poems.